Hello, and welcome to a new episode of From the Honeycomb Podcast. I am your host, Katerina Burenova. Each week, we dive into a blend of topics that resonate with the soul. Whether you're an architect enthusiast, have a passion for wanderlust, want to discover holistic approaches to rejuvenate your body and mind, or are intrigued to learn about Vastu Shastra with a modern approach, you've come to the right place. Join me as I sit down with inspiring, like-minded women from various walks of life. We will delve into their journeys to discuss the challenges and moments that define their paths. So sit back, relax, and let the spark of positive energy ignite your curiosity. Welcome to the second episode of the Women in Architecture series. I am joined today by my friend Sarah Birding, who is in the midst of her ARE journey. Sarah, welcome to From the Honeycomb Podcast. Hey there. And as you know, we begin every episode by sharing something that we are grateful for in the present moment. So what are you grateful for? So I am grateful most for family right now. We had an aunt, one of my aunts came into town just yesterday for a Popeye and I don't know, it was really good to see her. So just being so close to family is really something that I love. Yeah, that's so true. Like having family nearby, I think we sometimes forget like spending time with them and like making sure we see them Yeah, in case we move away or something like that. Well, Sarah, share with us your architecture journey. What made you want to become an architect and kind of where you are today in your journey? So my dad is an architect, as you know. My dad is an architect and I grew up kind of going to his office. He would pick me up from school and I would, he would have a a razor scooter in his trunk and I would scooter around his office. So I knew all of his colleagues and I was kind of introduced to architecture through that, just watching people do their sketches, the colored elevations, really being intrigued by that. I wasn't introduced to the educational side of it until I decided what college I was going to go to, but then that's where I fully immersed myself in architecture and knew that that's the career path that I wanted to pursue. In college, you know, I worked random jobs just to make money for the super duper expensive model materials that everyone is aware of. But around halfway through my college experience, I started interning and actually getting a taste of the professional world. And that kind of drew me in much further And here I am, my architecture degree and working at a firm in Costa Mesa on projects that I didn't really know anything about until working at this job, but it's really neat learning new things and it's just making me love architecture more and more every day. No, that's awesome. And you seem so happy at your new job. Yeah. It's like, it's so fulfilling. And so, and then with your exams, you've passed two, two exams now. Mm -hmm. And how, one thing I've been asking other architects on the podcast, I want to ask you is, did, do you feel like your college university studies prepared you for the exams or your real life experience prepared you for the exams? Or is it just a whole nother world? I want to say it's a little bit of the latter two. Schooling did not prepare me at all. And I don't want to say that as a negative thing against my school because they, taught me so much about the basics of architecture. You know, you had your conceptual courses, but then you also had your technical courses. So that was really neat to get to see both sides of more the design part. I guess you would say like the SD part of the project, Mm -hmm. but they didn't really prepare you for licensure. I think 
the only time I was introduced to the path to licensure was a small non-mandatory presentation by one of my instructors during my fifth year on like a lunch break. And they were like, oh, here's the AXP app and here's NCARP. You probably want to get a account and you have to take all these exams and then some for California or whatever state you want to get licensed for. And I was like, oh, well, thanks for letting us know in my fifth year of architecture. So that was a little rough to learn about that so late in the game. But I definitely say working in the professional world helped me a lot to understand the nitty gritty of how a project works, not just the design parts of it, but you know, getting into CDs and even working with the clients and getting into the business aspect of running a firm as well. So a lot of it came from working mm-hmm. outside of school. That seems to be the consensus too. Because like for me, I heard about the ARES in like my architecture 101 class freshman year. And it seemed so far away. So I was like, oh, I have five years of architecture school. I'll yeah. worry about the exams. Had no idea. Didn't even think about it. And then kind of, yeah, fifth year, signed up for NCARB account. Was like, oh, what's this? This is like new. And then kind of got a big shock after school and was like, oh, these are what the exams are like. So it's definitely different. But I agree with you on the real world experience. College was a lot more of the design aspect, but real world does seem to correlate to the exams a little bit more. Yeah, I definitely wish that I learned a little bit more about logging hours before I jumped into actually gaining hours. I didn't understand that there was a time limit for when you had to log your hours. So there were a lot of hours my first internship that I lost because I put it off. I wanted to wait till the internship was over before I signed, I got anything signed off. And then once I started logging them, it just wasn't, there wasn't any pressure on myself to log any of them. And then once I got around to logging them, it was cut in half. So I'm done with my hours now. So it's not a big of a deal now, but I wish that that was something that somebody had told me or that I did more research on. So that was a a little bit of a setback right in the beginning. Do you remember how many hours are required now? It's 3,700 or 3,600 and some change. That's why if someone listening to the podcast episode doesn't know for to get our architecture license, not only do you have the exams, you have 3,700, sounds like, yeah, Yeah. hours working under a licensed architect on top of your exams. Some states, I think, required you to have your hours before you take exams. California, you can take your exams before your hours are complete, which is really helpful Mm -hmm. um, because you can just do both at the same time. So that's a little different, just a little inside thing. And, And then when you started your exams... How long after school did you start your first exam? I started my first exam, I want to say maybe six to eight months after I graduated. So I graduated spring of 2020, COVID (laughs) graduation, (laughs) virtual. So that was interesting. But I was still working remotely for my job that I had in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And then I switched to a firm in Irvine and worked for them for a couple years. But right when I started working for them, I started studying for my first exams and I had no idea what I was doing. I was just looking online, trying to figure out what materials. I was going off of the NCARB recommended materials list Mm -hmm. and it was extremely overwhelming because I was looking up all of these books 
they were like 300 bucks each and I wasn't ready to just lay down thousands of dollars on study material. So I was trying to find a bunch of different avenues. So I think up till now, I've gone through about four or five different avenues of study material, whether it's Amber Books or Hyperfine or Whole Enchilada, a couple other sources that aren't as well known. But I started taking my exams with PPD and PDD back to back, which for me, I wouldn't recommend because that was a little rough, but I started that, I want to say like just under a year after I graduated. I wish I started sooner though. Mm -hmm. That seems to be, yeah, I took a year off for mine and then I started studying, but it was right when 5.0, the new series Mm -hmm. came out. But you bring up a good point about starting which exams to start with is I had a similar mindset like you start with the big ones, get those done, and then breeze through this, you know, the shorter, smaller exams. And then it was a, also like a shock of like, okay, no, 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 we got to start with the simple ones, the easier ones like CE, construction evaluation, which is more like legal documents. That was the first one I took mm-hmm. that I finally passed. So it's definitely like the mindset of start with the smaller, it seems like. And that's what a lot of, I think, study programs recommend too, right? Just mm-hmm. kind of getting comfortable with the program, the software too, the whiteboard we have now on the exams, not having our pencils. Yeah. That's another thing we can (laughs) talk about too. Yeah. After taking PPD and PDD, getting out of that first exam and clicking, yes, I'd like to see my preliminary score and seeing that I failed it, which by the way, I went into that exam saying, okay, this is going to be totally fine. I studied for like two months. This is going to be great. So I went in and I was like, okay, this is a little harder than I expected, but I did like internal calculations. I probably got like 75% of them right, which is passing. So I'm going to be fine. And then I hit end exam, see my preliminary score. You will most likely fail this division. And I went back to work that same day, which I was, I was told not to by my coworkers and my boss, but I was like, no, no, no. I need the money. I need to go back to work. I have things I need to do. But I went back to work and everyone was like, how was your exam? Was it like, did you pass? Do you know your score? Everyone was so excited. And I just looked at them and I was like, no, but that's okay. And then I went to the bathroom and cried. Mm -hmm. But that was the shock of just not understanding the exams. And so I went into the next exam, which I scheduled for two weeks afterwards, which again, I do not recommend. And I just sucked it up and I took it and I failed it. And after those two exams, I was like, okay, I need to rethink my study process. I need to go back and figure out what's the best order to do these in. I want to say a year after taking those, maybe a little less than a year, I found whole enchilada Mm -hmm. from Katerina. Yeah. And so I started working with David Doucette and mm-hmm. Eric Corey Freed, and their study plan was really, really helpful. And they said to look at the exams as you're working on a project from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And that was really an interesting way to look at the exams because you think your practice and project management are getting the client, understanding the project, and then you jump into site analysis and SD and DD that's your programming and analysis exam and your PPD exam. And then you get into PDD 
which is more your construction documents, and then CE, which is construction and evaluation, which is like your CA of the project. So it was really interesting to understand the exams that way. That helped a lot in approaching each exam. Mm -hmm. So that was that was good. That's an interesting mindset. Yeah, because I used them right off when I first started and just because there just wasn't, they were one of the first ones to have exam material out when 5.0 came out. And then I heavily used them towards the end with PDD Mm -hmm. and then the California exam. But I like that they thought of that approach with the exams to have it like a project. That Mm -hmm. makes so much sense now that I think about it is like, why not go in what we're used to at work, just pretending because our projects do last, you know, a year, two years, three years, which the exams, I think I read now, the average to pass all your exams is like 2.1 years. It took me three years. So I'm a little above average or below average, right? Am I above average? I'm below average. Oh, you're around the average. I'm around the average, about a year. We'll say that. I had COVID slowed me down a little bit because all the exam centers. Everything's COVID. (laughs) Exactly. Everything on COVID. Yeah. Now that you've, you've taken some exams and you've passed... How do you feel going into like your next exams? Do you feel like you kind of know what to expect more? Yeah. So it's funny you bring that up. Yeah. Yesterday I was sitting with my mom and she asked me when my next exam was. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, it's next Saturday. It's PPD. And then a month later I have PDD. So see, I stretched it from two weeks yeah. to one month between exams. Smart. And I was like, why do you ask? Mm-hmm. Do you have something planned that day? Or like, do you want to do something? And she was like, no, 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 just asking. But she said it kind of in a little bit of a weird way. And I was like, come on, like, why do you want to plan something? And she was like, no, 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 your grandma wants to know. And I was like, why doesn't she just ask me? And she's like, she's afraid to ask. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to like bum you out if you fail. And I reached out to my grandma. I called her and I said, grandma, I'd be happy to talk to you about my exams. I'd be happy to tell you when I pass, when I fail. You know, you don't have to worry about bumming me ma- me out or asking me when I have them or if I pass fail because I've taken so many and I've failed so many and learned so much that it's not that it doesn't phase me anymore when I take one, but I'm just much more calm knowing that I've already taken a few of them I know what to study and how to study. I just need to figure out how to, you know, approach the exam each time. So that just reminded me of now that I've taken so many, it just, it's an exam. You shouldn't be afraid of them. You're going to have to do it at some point. So might as well just grab it by the horns and just do it. So true. So true. And I like that you brought up family and talking to family about the exams. I similarly kind of understand like people asking like, when's your next exam? And maybe sometimes you share it, sometimes you don't. But then also when your family starts to go on this through your licensure path with you, because I mean, that's pretty much all you start doing. You're either working, you're studying, and then you have a little bit of that social life and your family, as much as they, you want to get them involved and you tell them about, especially the passes, it was really eye opening for a lot of my family members to understand what we as architects have to do to be able to get licensed. Like my grandma thought I should be a doctor at this point. She's like, <laughs> by the time, same, similar thing. Like we talked, she'd be like, oh, she's like, you're still studying. I'm like, yep, still studying. She's like, how many more? And she's like, man, by this time, I thought you'd have like your, you know, like you'd be a doctor. Or yeah. Because it's so much. It's not just architecture school. It's the exams. And if it takes two to three to four years, that's another, that's like a master's program. 
Yeah, exactly. I have friends who are going through med school and are getting ready to sit for some of their exams. And they ask, hey, we have two or three long exams that we have to take. What is your licensure process? And I explain that it's, you know, six exams through NCARB. And then because we're in California, a seventh exam. And every single person, regardless of what field they're in, their jaw drops to the floor because they have no idea that there are so many exams that we have to take. And I think the difference is our exams are much shorter than Mm -hmm. say a dentistry exam or a nursing or a med student exam. But that's because all of these exams have been separated out into their different categories. I think if they were merged together and you had much more content, they would be longer exams and be kind of an equivalent to, you know, a medical exam. So, but it's still a lot and you still have to pay a ton for each exam. So that's definitely something that you have to prepare for just thousands of dollars, Mm -hmm. but it's all going to benefit you in the end. And I think that's the other thing that just keeps me pushing forward is, Hey, I'm going to have this license. It's going to benefit my firm. It's going to make me a little bit more educated than I am now. And I'm going to have really cool stamp mm-hmm. and some additional letters next to my mm-hmm. name. So that'll be pretty cool. Exactly. Exactly. And I want to circle back to, since your dad's an architect and I know I've asked him about his exams, did you talk to him about any of like the tips he had when he took his exams? I know he took them away way back, like 3.0 or something like that when it was yeah. still in person. Wasn't it like once or twice a year, I think? Yeah. So when he took his exams, it was once a year for like a two week period. So him and all of his buddies decided to just sign up for all all of them. And they would go and sit for every single one of them all in a row, whether it was like multiple in one day or one day after the next, just to see how many they would pass. They would use the year to study and then they would go sit for as many as they could. And I think he said that he got like half of them done right off the bat. Mm -hmm. But that just showed, okay, the next year I have to spend studying for these other ones. But yeah, he said that there was one portion where you sit in front of a panel of architects and engineers. They just fire off questions. And that sounds terrifying to me. So I'm really happy that we don't have to do that. Yeah. He said he didn't have to do this. But before his generation of the licensure process, Mm -hmm. you actually had to sit for I want to say like 12 hours Mm -hmm. in front of a drawing desk and you got a set of program and drawing materials and you had to put together a full design set of a project that met whatever parameters were what they gave you. And that also sounds awful. (laughs) So I'm really glad it's a sit down for four hours Mm -hmm. and check a bunch of boxes. Mm -hmm. I would like some scratch paper. That would be nice. But yeah, the, the removal of the scratch paper, definitely, because I think as architects, we think with our hands, our pencils when we draw, which mm-hmm. that for me was once you get to the California exams, you get, like they call it a boogie board, but it's like one of those, like, like you draw on it with a pencil, but then you press a button and it clears everything away. Oh, yeah. I but it's like super low budget. And I remember I was like super, super low budget. And there was a, there was a question and I kept reading it and reading it. And I'm like, I don't understand it. I'm like, I wish I could draw it. But my mind was so on the NCARB exams, like I can't draw it. And then all of a sudden I look down, I'm like, oh, perfect. Because it was something about if you have a building and you put an AC unit on top and your max building height is this, Mm -hmm. what can you do? Something like that. 
And you just need to visualize I'm it. I'm going to diagram it. Exactly. And so I think with the removal of the, the whiteboard or the removal of the pen and paper and now having a digital whiteboard, it's been interesting. I know certain states are fighting it. I think I heard something about Florida hmm. being like, hey, why didn't you confirm with us? Or maybe that was a conversation I had with someone. <laughs> but yeah, that is, I know it's, yeah, we, we need that pen and paper paper, but pencil and paper, but it is what it is. So, but yeah, so talking about the format of the existing exams, obviously it's evolved from, as you mentioned, you know, we had candidates who used to have to actually draft, create a project. Mm -hmm. And then now it's multiple choice with some drag and drop, some hotspots, case studies as well. And so what advice do you have for someone who's taking the exams as far as like approaching the questions, do you start with case studies first or do you go straight to multiple choice or do you bounce around? I just go one to 100, one to 75, just start from the beginning and then I don't stop until I get to the end. One time I tried mixing it up on an exam that I had previously taken and I was like, okay, let's try case studies first because once I finish that initial, whatever it is, 60-ish questions, depending Mm -hmm. on the exam, I get to the case study and I'm already mentally exhausted. So I thought, okay, let me get all this reading and, you know, analyzing of the documents they provide you out of the way. But I didn't, I was still mentally exhausted then when I went back to the regular 60 plus questions beforehand. So I figured it at any point, whichever order you do it in, I think you just have to build up that stamina to get through it. I don't really think it matters what order you take it in. Definitely don't look at the question and like open the question and not answer it. Open it up, answer it, and then flag it if you want to come back to it. Because I've heard horror stories of people opening up all the questions just to look at them and see what the content is, but not answering them. And then they go up, take a pee break, and they come back and all of the questions have locked. And so that's something that happens on the exams as well, is if you decide to take a break halfway through the exam to go to the restroom, grab a snack, you know, whatever you're allowed to do, all of the questions that you have opened will lock and you cannot access them, which is kind of terrifying. But if you think about it, a lot of people say that your first answer is always going to be the most correct. If you go back and try to change an answer, it's probably not going to be correct or it's going to be farther away from what is correct. So I used to go through the entire exam, answer all the questions that I could, flag the ones that I wanted to go back to, go back, see if there was a better answer that miraculously appeared. And then I would change my answer. But at this point, whatever answer I chose as the first answer is going to be my best answer. So I go through all the questions once and then I end the exam. That's it. So that's been my go-to strategy for approaching these exams. So you usually don't take a break then? Nope. Dang. I don't take a break even for the longer exams because what's a five-minute break? You only get like five to 10 minutes. What is that going to do? I'm just going to sit back down after 10 minutes and I'm Mm going to feel the same way. So I just power through it and answer all the questions once. And then that's pretty much it. Dang. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I always have to take a pee break. So there's like one or two times where I've like completely gone through the exam and that was because I was like super focused, but usually I have to take a pee break. But so, almost pee your pants. But yeah. Oh yeah. At the end I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I, I can't hold it anymore, but yeah. I went through all the questions and that's another thing. That's a great thing to bring up as well as for advice is 
flagging it and make sure you answer it too because mm-hmm. locking it that you kind of forget oh did I answer it did I not answer it and yeah. then yeah you come back from your lunch or from your break and all of a sudden whatever five six questions aren't answered so that could be a stressful moment I want to ask you about do you have any day before the exam rituals or anything that you do don't study don't study. don't look at any material give yourself a break I have before and after exam rituals oh, okay The day before the exam, I don't look at any study material. I go have fun. I watch my favorite TV show. I completely remove myself from all material, all potential fears for the exam. Because if you're stressing yourself out the day before, you're just going to wait. I I am a firm believer of energy, positive and negative energy, and how it affects our daily life, how it adds or removes stress from our lives and our daily routines. And if you're putting that kind of negative energy and fear into your evening, and as you go to bed the day before an exam, you're going to wake up just as stressed, just as fearful, and you're going to go into that exam stressed and fearful. And it's just going to, it shows what the outcome is going to be. So the day before the exam, don't do anything, relax, go on a walk, do what makes you happy as if you don't have an exam the next day. Go sit for the exam, have a great breakfast, make sure you're completely calm going into it. It's just an exam. It's nothing to be scared of. Sit down. I have stopped looking at the preliminary score at the end of the exam because you don't get your score until about 24 to 48 hours after the exam. So for me, I'd like to enjoy those 48 hours afterwards in bliss and my carefree la-la land. So I just end the exam. I walk out of the center just not knowing how I did. And then I just go enjoy my weekend because normally I take the exams on a Friday or Saturday. So I just enjoy my weekend and then I find out Sunday night and I just go from there. So nothing revolving around the exam before or after the exam. That's kind of what I do. No, that's, that's good advice because I think, yeah, you need that mental break because so much of your mental focus and energy in that exam during that time, driving to the exam, taking the exam and driving back, it's just like, it really drains you and sucks the energy out of you. So I think I like your advice of just remove yourself and then you can kind of just relax and like wind down a little bit because it is, it's a lot. It's a lot mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, I think, to, yeah. to sit for those exams. Well, and if if you don't know the content eight hours before the exam, what's the use in cramming for it? There's going to be no benefit back in high school or in college. People say that cramming for exams is not going to benefit mm-hmm. you at all. I don't know if it worked for some people, then I guess continue how you've been doing it. But for the most part, cramming is just not the way to go. So if you don't know the content hours before your exam, cramming is not going to help you learn that that content. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And can you share with us the story of the first exam you passed? Because I really, I thought it was a really cute story when you found your results. Yeah. So that was interesting. So with my dad being an architect and growing up, around his office. I knew all of his colleagues and I'm still really close with a lot of them now. I actually work with one of them who he's worked with for the last almost 20 years. So it's really cool to kind of full circle now work with his one of his colleagues. So that's really great. But anyway, we were at 
his house. His name's Roland. He's such a great guy. And we are at their house for some Christmas like cookie decorating event. Everyone was over, the family, my dad and his wife, Pam, were over. And we were just kind of hanging out. I think I was at the mixing bowl mixing up icing to decorate the gingerbread cookies. And I got the email that my score report was out. I opened my email and I was like, okay, just another score report. I'm just here looking at how well I did on each section, how I need to improve for the next time that I take this exam. It was practice management, by the way. I opened up my NCARB account. I opened up the exams tab and it said one division completed. And I sat there for a second and I was like, wait a minute, this is weird. So I went down and I looked and it said, practice management passed. And I exclaimed and everyone was doing this and that, trying to prepare the cookies and the icing and all this stuff. And I just, everyone thought that something was wrong. And I was like, I passed my first exam. And having other architecture people there, architecture professionals there for just a family gathering that was really cool and then my dad showed up and we shared a beer and so that was I don't know it was really cool to share that moment with my dad and then other architecture professionals so I don't know that it was a really cool moment that was that was no I'm glad that you got to share it with so many people and people who understand and and really appreciate what you're going through as well it's mm-hmm. like yeah, as other architectural professionals, we really recognize like now, even Jesse, my husband, he's a contractor and he goes, I look at architects differently now after seeing what the exam process is like. And he's like, sometimes I look at architects and I go, I can't believe you are licensed because these <laughs> right? And so it's definitely great. So I'm glad that you were surrounded by like such a supportive group too, which also brings me to talking about you know, that support group and having family around you and having people who kind of keep you accountable. So just to keep studying. So do you feel like you have kind of that good support network and people who keep you accountable? Yeah, I definitely think the primary person for that is my dad. Mm -hmm. He's not texting me every day. Hey, did you study? He's not calling me or making sure that I'm ready for my exam. But just having him in the back of my mind knowing that he's licensed, he went through this process and he just wants to see me succeed. And I want to get my license and have it next to his. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of my motivation to just keep pushing forward. I don't really tell a whole lot of people when I have an exam coming up or how far I'm through the process, how far I am along through the process. So I don't have like a study group or anything like that. It's kind of just solo. But I think, yeah, my biggest motivation is just getting my license and having that continuing the birding architecture (laughs) plan. So that's kind of what pushes me. Nice. Nice. No, I like that. I like that. And you also bring up one more point that I wanted to discuss is like not sharing with people a lot more people as you like at first I was telling everybody and like by the end of my exam phase I was only telling a few and then I would kind of also just disconnect from the world at the end and just be like okay for four weeks you guys can't see me because I need to study because for me I like shorter study periods and longer periods Mm -hmm. of studying so just eventually just like can't do anything I'm gonna study So that's kind of where I I ended up. But yeah, not telling people kind of where you are, because there's also that 
what we were talking about earlier in the episode is then like when your grandma's like, well, I don't know if I should ask, like, did you pass or not? Like, I'm surprised you have an exam next week. So that's kind of um, exciting. So you'll be in my thoughts um, next next week for sure, or, like sending positive energy for that exam as well. But it is, it's sometimes you got to figure out who you're going to share the information with and who not. Yeah, because if what I learned was, if I'm telling all these people that I have an exam, then like the week before that exam, everyone's like, are you ready for it? Like, how much have you been studying? Oh, we'll be thinking about you. And then you get all these texts or calls or, you know, the next day at work, they're like, how'd you do? And if you failed, then it just, I don't know, it made me feel kind of worse about the fail, Mm -hmm. having so many, I appreciated the confidence that people had in me. But there was a teeny tiny part of me that was like, oh, if I tell you that I failed, and I didn't just fail the exam, like I failed you guys. Mm -hmm. So I just keep it to myself. And that's not, it's more of a self preservation thing. Mm -hmm. Just kind of letting, I'm going to progress silently. When something great happens, then I'll let you know if I feel comfortable saying that I failed or it comes up in conversation, then, you know, we can totally talk about it. It's not a problem, but Mm -hmm. the information won't come until the exam has been completed Mm -hmm. because it's just not, I don't need that extra stress knowing that all these other people know and are thinking about it. In addition to me, like I'm thinking about it enough. I don't need 20 other people thinking about it as well. Yeah. So that's where I'm at with that. And then, so what would be your advice for someone who's in the midst of their exams? Because it seems like you failed a few exams, but you are in like a calmer headspace now, like even the way you sounds like you approach the exams. What would be your advice for someone who has failed, you know, one or two in a row and is still kind of at the beginning and looking at six exams ahead of them? What would your advice be? So I think, yeah. Not being afraid of them is the biggest thing. You know, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to going back to not failing other people. This is your journey. Like, if you're trying to push yourself to achieve a goal that you have, it's not anyone else's goal. So just focus on that. And if it takes you a little longer than other people, you're on your own timeline. I mean, you're on NCARB's timeline. (laughs) But it doesn't have to be anyone else's. Like some people take upwards of five years, you know, Mm -hmm. before there was the five-year time limit. And now Mm -hmm. that that's been abolished in some states, you know, people now have a ridiculous amount of time to get through these exams. But, you know, it's not worth fighting that and trying to push yourself to the ends of the earth to try and impress other people or just follow your own timeline, approach it how you want to approach it. I know that's not that's kind of vague, but everyone's situation is really different and how you approach these exams is going to be really different in case by case. But I think what I've learned is just there's no rush to try and get them done as soon as possible. You know, when I started working at my previous job, one of my coworkers, when she was hired, we're still really good friends, but she had passed her six NCARB exams and she was about to sit for her California exam. And I asked her about her journey and what materials she used because I was still early on in the process. And 
she said that she went down to part-time and then ended up getting laid off from her job during COVID. And she took COVID and just passed them all one after the other in, I think she said like six months Wow! and passed them all on the first try. And so I was like, damn, if she can do that, like I can do that. Mm -hmm. That seems easy enough. And so I went in super confident, overly confident, and I was humbled very quickly. So that's why I say don't put so much pressure on yourself to match somebody else's journey or beat someone else's timeline. Take a few exams. Don't go in with any expectations. Just accept the exam as what it is. And it's there for a reason. You don't want your average Joe designing the next skyscraper. So they're there for a reason. The exams aren't there to get you. And mm-hmm. carbs not out to make you fail. It's just to weed out the ones that aren't meant to be architects. So be proud of, you know, what you can do and have confidence that you can achieve them. And if it takes you a few extra tries, then so be it. That's your journey. But don't put so much stress on yourself and don't compare yourself to others because it's just it's just going to make you fail them more so mm-hmm. so no well, that's a great way to kind of end the episode I think that was great advice for anyone listening who is going through the exams and is feeling defeated so I think that was really good so Sarah thank you for coming on from the honeycomb podcast and sharing yeah. your ARE journey I know you're still in the midst of it and I know everybody's rooting for you whoever's listening and okay and where can listeners find you at s Berting. so my first initial and my last name Perfect on Instagram. And I'll provide a link in the show notes. You guys can reach out to Sarah. Awesome. And yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, definitely reach out with any questions or, you know, if anyone has any extra thoughts or needs some additional advice, you know, I'm here to chat anytime. So yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of From the Honeycomb Podcast. As we conclude, I want to express my gratitude for joining me in today's episode. I hope you have found it insightful and inspiring. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to rate, review, and click that like button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to share this with your friends. You can follow me on Instagram at From the Honeycomb Podcast. And you can also further your support of From the Honeycomb by visiting the patron link provided in the show notes. Your contribution helps make more episodes possible. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to my monthly newsletter, A Spark of Positive Energy, that comes out on the 7th of each month. Thank you so much and see you next Friday. Thank you.